Welcome back to 2 Jane Does. Hi, everybody. We got some exciting news for you. Yeah, so before we dive into this week's episode, we got some exciting news. We will be at the Bex Oddities and Curiosities Fair this Saturday, the 25th, from 5 to 9. We will have a booth set up, so if you are a West Virginia native or from any of the local surrounding areas, we would really like it if you guys would come out and see us. We're going to have some tarts for sale, we're going to have some car freshies for sale, and we're going to have a nice little goodie loot basket that Which, we're raffling off. Yes, and that's going to be valued at $150. Yes. Super exciting. Entries are a dollar. Come out and support local podcasters. We will also be joined there by the Prayer Chain Podcast. They are also another West Virginia local podcast. Girls that we know from around town. They're pretty awesome. And then Appalachian Monster and Mystery will be there. We had never heard of them, but we definitely checked them out after we heard that they would be there too. They seem like pretty legit girls too, so come on out and support your strong, independent women that don't need no man's run podcasts, because we will be there. Uh, it's a free event too, that should be noted. So there's going to be all kinds of stuff. Uh, this is the third year they've done it. There's going to be palm readers and fortune tellers and wandering performers, and there's even going to be a guided ghost tour following the event at 9.30. So, if you like spooky, spooky stuff, come on out and see us. Not to mention for the food lovers, there will be plenty of vendors there, including some people who have some food trucks and other sorts of yummy goodies, so you can fill your belly while getting spooky, spooky scared at the same time. Yeah, and I know we're springing this on you guys, like, totally at the last minute, but to be fair, we were reached out to about getting a tent for this event two days ago, so it's pretty, pretty last minute for us too. Um, and as always, any money that is made off of the items we bring goes right back into the podcast. Just a little heads up, the first thing we're going to improve is definitely the audio, so bear yeah. with us. Anywho, let's get right into it. So, this week, we're going to discuss a baby napping case. Mm. And it is the murder of Bobby Joe Stinnett. And parenthood is one of the strongest emotional bonds that people can form. And infertility affects 10% of women between the ages of 15 and 44 in the U.S. All treatment costs for infertility can range from five to $73,000. And the average person goes through at least two IVF cycles, which would bring the total cost, including other procedures and medications you might need along the way, between forty dollars and $60,000. Now, $60,000, I could buy like three of the car that I'm driving now for 60, you know, 60 grand. So, our question this week is, if you were battling infertility, how far would you go to experience this emotional bond? Let's talk about it.
This podcast contains some adult language, graphic descriptions of crime scenes, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Bobby Jacinette was 23 years old and she was getting ready to have her first child. She was eight months pregnant and she was very excited. Along with her husband, Zeb, she ran a business breeding rat terriers in their home in Skidmore, Missouri called Happy Haven Rat Terriers. She also worked at a local Kawasaki manufacturing plant in Maryville because the couple needed all the money they could have with a new baby on the way. Bobby Jo had spent years watching her dogs give birth to litters of puppies, her friends and family members giving birth to babies, and after a year of marriage, it was finally her turn. Her excitement was impossible to contain, and at eight months, the pregnancy was beginning to come full circle. Bobby Jo was telling everyone about her soon-to-arrived baby. She turned to an online chat room called Ratter Chatter, which was a place where people could talk about rat terriers interesting little way to get a dog i guess i love the name i mean i guess it's just like any other little facebook group where you talk about stuff you got fish groups dog groups all kinds of stuff so i mean yeah here's a little story i used to have goats and the people that i bought my goats from they actually had okay the people that i got my goats from they had a farm but they were becoming older they weren't able to take care of the goats so they were wanting to just get rid of their goats but they had a little side hustle where they had an entire like fema trailer air conditions a whole nine and they bred yorkies out of that trailer and i was like this is the first time i would ever seen anybody breed dogs like that from their home anyways insane so, while chatting online, she encountered user Lisa Montgomery from Melbourne, Kansas. The two women had enough in common. They shared a love of rat terriers and were also about to have children. Bobby Joe talked about her pregnancy when Lisa told her that she too was expecting. But this was actually a lie. Lisa loved children and was more than happy to talk about pregnancy. The conversation turned to Bobby Joe's breeding business, which she was happy to promote. Her business found homes for dogs every week, and she had met plenty of people through the business. So on December 16, 2004, she happily opened the door and welcomed a stranger into her home. Lisa was a middle-aged woman with brown hair. She wore glasses and very little makeup. Kind of like a 
plain Jane type of woman. Yeah, really. Just it. You know, she was somebody that could be anybody. You know, it could be anybody that you pass on the street. I mean, I have brown hair and I wear very little makeup most of the time. Um, so, I mean, yeah. it could be me. Anyways. On December 16th, 2004, she didn't appear at Bobby Joe's door as Lisa Montgomery. She came as Darlene Fisher and expressed an interest in buying a puppy. Bobby Joe opened the door, always a welcoming host. Bobby Joe didn't recognize the stranger in front of her, only knew her by Darlene and that she was interested in dogs. Bobby Joe and Darlene were all alone in the home, and as Bobby Joe turned to guide Darlene through the house and toward the dog, she looked away. Darlene, aka Lisa, seized her moment. She waited until Bobby Joe was distracted and struck. She wrapped a pink neon rope around her neck and squeezed. No matter how Bobby Joe tried, she couldn't break free. She felt the life being choked out of her. Bobby Joe kept her hands wrapped around her stomach, still feeling the baby kicking in her womb. This gives me chill bumps. This makes me not want to sell anything ever online to anyone. Yeah, but I mean, not only that, like, there are so many, like, there's so many stories of women, more specifically pregnant women, being targeted because they are pregnant than I think I ever really, truly realized. Because I'd heard of a couple through, like, the ID channel, um, crime podcasts, things like that, but... That's just crazy to me that you're going to kill somebody for a baby, but okay. Bobby Joe ultimately died, but Lisa wasn't finished. She grabbed the knife, rolled Bobby Joe's body into position, and then set to work. She sliced open her stomach, cutting deeper and deeper until she pierced the wound. Lisa felt her hands become slippery from all the blood, but she just kept cutting like an insane surgeon. She found the baby, still alive, and cut her free. And according to some of the reports, what was left behind made it look like Bobby Joe's stomach had exploded. Ugh. Yes. Soaked in blood, Lisa removed the baby from the womb and held her close to feel the beat of her heart. Then she left, abandoning Bobby Joe in a pool of her own blood. Bobby Joe's mother, Becky Harper, found her body a few hours later. It almost destroyed her, which I couldn't imagine. You know, that's your baby who's having a baby, and you come in and you see her dad, stomach tore apart, and now your grandbaby's gone. Yeah, that would probably break me. I couldn't imagine. And, you know, it was all Becky could do to call the police. And while authorities were speeding toward Bobby Joe's home, Lisa was already in her car heading back to Kansas, cradling the baby as she drove. Yeah. So, first of all, she came to this house completely and totally unprepared to, I mean, it was clearly her intentions to steal a baby. Like, why wouldn't you get a freaking car seat? Because that's super dangerous, first of all, to just drive with a baby cradled in your arms. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of where I was at with this whole case. And, like, in my mind, I know it's an intrusive thought, but in my mind, the only thing I could keep thinking is... You know, one, she just ripped this baby from Bobby Joe's stomach. Like, was she still covered in, like, 
all because I don't know if y'all ever seen a baby being born. They come out looking nasty. I mean, <laughs> they're covered in mucus. Yeah, and blood. yeah. Like, was she clean? Was she given like? Pro- I know she wasn't given proper medical care, but I mean, was she even wiped down? Did she have some kind of outfit to put on the baby to keep it warm? Because I don't think Missouri and Kansas are famous for like, you know, hot weather, especially in the middle of you know beginning of December. You know, this poor baby is all confused, just in this strange woman's lap, probably wrapped in a friggin' towel or something. Yeah, it's very, very strange. I mean, you gotta think, like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little creepy creep, so when I'm driving past people, I'd be, like, looking at you in your car, like, what, sh- what is you doing? Especially if I got some mad road rage. So, I mean, you got all these people driving past her, like, do they see her covered in blood? Did they see anything? But then again, you know, some people are probably going to think, oh, well, she had a baby on the side of the road. She's driving to a hospital. You know, it's hard mm-hmm. to say what other people could have said or thought. Me being me, I'd be like, that's some strange shit and I keep <laughs> driving because I ain't getting any business. <sighs> always not in somebody's business. I'm always in people's business. <laughs> so let's get some background on Little Miss Lisa before we continue. Lisa's mother, Judy Shaughnessy, was an alcoholic which led to Lisa being born with permanent brain damage. Judy had been married six times, which meant a string of stepfathers. Lisa was raised in a physically, emotionally, and sexually abusive home where she was raped by her stepfather and his friends and beaten from the age of 11. According to her oldest sister, Diane Mattingly, their stepfather had a specially constructed room at the back of their trailer for such occasions. Diane said she was also raped, sometimes while in the same room as Lisa. Family members testified that Judy also trafficked Lisa. And I mean, from the jump, she's not having a good life. And I mean, this is, you know, from the age of 11 on up. I mean, I couldn't imagine. And like, I don't know what goes through people's heads. First of all, if you know what's going on, why are you just letting it happen? Well, her mom's an alcoholic, so she's really... Uh, she's really separated herself from it. Because, I mean, if she's stumbling down drunk, she's not, she's not, you know, caring that her husband and drinking buddies are chilling in the back of the house just, for lack of better terms, running trains on her kids and all this other stuff. And she's really... She just clearly doesn't give a shit. Yeah, I think physically and emotionally she separated herself from that to where... It's just normal for her to let those things happen to her children. Yeah. That's fucking terrible. Lisa sought mental escape through drinking alcohol, and when she was 14 years old, her mother discovered the abuse and reacted by threatening her with a gun. Again, just showing how far separated this mom is, that when she discovers and finds out about this abuse, she's threatening Lisa. Yeah, not the Not the, not the perpetrator. It's fucked up shit right here. But again, Lisa tried to escape by marrying at the age of 18, but both her first and second marriages resulted in further abuse. Lisa had four children before she underwent having her tubes tied in 1990. She falsely claimed to be pregnant several times after the procedure, according to both her first and second spouses. 
which let me just throw in here. I didn't put it in here, but when I was doing the research, someone on her legal team actually said the reason Lisa would fake these pregnancies was because she found out like through her history of abuse that if she told the abuser that she was pregnant, it would stop. I mean, and it worked, so clearly, because she had four kids. Right, and I mean, I feel like that's definitely going to play a role, you know, in everything that's going to kind of go on here, but we'll get there. Yeah, because, I mean, she shifted, you know, having the abuser think that she was pregnant. She shifted the abuse to attention, almost. Right, um, so, for most women, explaining the sudden existence of a baby would be difficult. However, Lisa was not your normal, typical woman. For months, she'd been lying to her husband, Kevin Montgomery, and everyone in the small town of Melbourne. She told anyone and everyone who would listen that she was pregnant, regardless of whether she physically appeared to be. Her husband had even bought the lie because while this wasn't her first child, it would be his. And I couldn't imagine being in his position... I didn't see anywhere where it said that Kevin was abusing Lisa, but, you know, let's just say Kevin was, like, the perfect, you know, picture-perfect husband. Mm-hmm. I would, I would imagine that he would be excited. Yeah, to have why not? For, You know, this would be his first kid, probably got his fingers crossed it's going to be a boy, you know, the typical man thing. You know, her husband thought perhaps maybe she knew more than he did. And while she was online, she searched for ultrasound images. She would print them and tote them around town in her little handbag and show everybody, look at my baby that I'm getting ready to have. It's the size of a kidney bean right now, but look at him. That kind of thing. That's insane. Yeah. Not only that, like, ultrasound images come on specific paper. It's not like you know copy paper yeah it's not it's not print paper it's like it's like a sheen sheen it's like bigger receipt paper almost yeah it's glossy and it comes from a doctor's office and has all these stats and stuff and like it's a girl or it's a boy not to mention that in those ultrasound pictures there's a date of when the ultrasound was completed and i'm pretty sure it has like the patient first name and last name on it too maybe i'm not sure i'm not i, don't, I clearly don't have no kids I, I do want to keep a dog alive but all i'm yeah. saying is if this lady walked up on me and was like oh look at this i'm pregnant and just started talking to me like that i'd be like why are you telling me your life story honey keep it moving i don't Ex- care exactly but not only that you know as your pregnancy progresses the ultrasound images become more and more clear and like I said, they usually have like a marker, like it's a boy or it's a girl. How would she know? Unless, because she did talk to Bobby Joe, unless Bobby Joe said, hey, I'm having a little girl. So maybe she just got all the information she needed and she could just pass off fake ultrasounds saying that it was a girl. Yeah, but she would have to <sighs> have some sort of physical difference in her appearance. She had to have been, like, stuffing her stomach with something. Something along those lines. Ooh. Like, Mr. Schuster's wife off of Glee. 
Yeah. She was faking saying she had she had a hysterical pregnancy. Mm -hmm. and that was the only thing keeping them two together. And she got that pregnancy bump thing. Yeah. Mm. I, I would be that psycho. But anyways. Before Lisa left Missouri, she looked at pictures of C-sections. And when people in Ratter Chatter asked her for photos of her dogs, she lied to them saying it was too difficult for her to bend down and take photos while she was pregnant. Which, girl... You can point your camera, like, you don't have to physically do nothing, but okay, sis, you do you. <laughs> and as she drove home with this baby in her arms, she was tickled pink delighted. When she reached Topeka, she called Kevin and told him that she'd given birth and went into labor prematurely, and she told him, you know, we have a beautiful baby girl now, and then she asked him to kind of pick her up because... After all, she had just given birth, and she was in no condition to be driving. And here's something to think about. Did she, because it, it, it's gross, but it's something totally natural, you're going to have blood all over you from giving birth. So did she also, like, take some blood and, like, dab it in areas to make it look like she actually gave birth vaginally? Right, well, see, I don't know. I don't know if this conversation was, I went to labor prematurely at a hospital. Because even if you would have... But that wouldn't have worked either because it the baby because wasn't clean, maybe? I don't that's know. What, that's what I'm saying. There's so much that's kind of mm. left out in the open. Because, I mean, if she would have given birth in a hospital, she would have not have been coming home. No. It, you know, at most hospitals, at least keep you a day. Right. Two days. Mm-hmm. Usually two days is the most of that. And if Get the hell out. And if you're premature, they definitely want to keep you. Right, because there could be some uh, developmental issues with the baby. and It could be anything. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, maybe she is holding on to this ploy of she was on the side of the road and had this baby. But even if that was the case, I would like to think maybe Kevin's a logical person that would have been like, Honey, I am not coming to pick you up. You need to go to the hospital. I will meet you there. Like... And this is 2004. We definitely have phones. She definitely has a way to call. Well, she might not have a way. But, I mean, like, cell phones were a exist. Thing. Right. And, it, and, I mean, if she's calling him from the road, she can more than call 911 to get her to a hospital. But she ain't going to do that. No. Because she snatched that baby. Exactly. And back in Skidmore, the police put out an alert. They'd quickly deduced the problem when they'd arrived at the scene. They contacted the FBI, hoping the baby could be found alive, but worried that she had been taken across state lines. The only suspect was the person who had made an appointment to buy a dog, Darlene Fisher. Not knowing yet that Lisa had given a false name, the authorities searched through Bobby Joe's computers. They called in specialists and acted on a tip from a person who'd seen Bobby Joe's conversation on Ratter Chatter, and they found the account of the person visiting her home that day. They tracked the IP address, linked it to a phone number and an address. This brought them to Kevin and Lisa's home. Less than a day after the murder, the police arrived outside the Montgomery household. They found Lisa inside, holding the day-old baby and surrounded by her confused but otherwise delighted family. In a matter of less than two days, the Montgomery and Stinnett families were changed forever. Lisa was arrested and the baby was returned to Zeb. 
DNA testing proved that the baby was Bobby Joe's. The baby had survived and everyone was in shock. I mean, I would be too. That's Given the scene that was left behind yeah. and the state of Bobby Joe's stomach, I would be surprised that the baby, the baby was alive. I mean, Carol practiced forever. And she didn't even get to do Lori's C-section on the walk and then. Back at it with the walking dead. <laughs> Moving on. The Montgomery family was terrified to find out what Lisa had done. Communities in both Missouri and Kansas were appalled, and the media was relentless in their coverage of the case. At the pretrial hearing, a neuropsychologist testified the head injuries which Lisa had sustained some years before could have damaged the part of the brain that controls aggression. And during the trial, her history was revealed to the world. Lisa's attorneys asserted that she had pseudosiasis, which was a mental condition that causes a woman to falsely believe she is pregnant and exhibit outward signs of pregnancy. Other experts agreed with this diagnosis in addition to depression, borderline personality disorder, and PTSD. However, regardless of the diagnosis, she was charged with a federal offense of kidnapping resulting in death. If she was convicted, she'd face a sentence of life imprisonment or the death penalty. Her legal team scattered and conducted around 450 interviews with family members, friends, caseworkers, doctors, and social workers. Together, they formed a picture of family dysfunction, abuse, neglect, professional negligence, substance abuse, and untreated mental illness. Her attorneys also presented an alternative theory for the crime, which was that her brother, whose name was Tommy, had committed the murder, even though he had an alibi. What? I don't know how they're trying to pull this Tommy boy out of left field, but they were trying. Um, and this was ultimately dropped, but her legal team believed the damage to her credibility was already done. They were shot. So on October 22nd, 2007, after five hours of deliberation, the jury found Lisa Montgomery guilty. They recommended a sentence of death, and Judge Gary A. Finner sentenced her to death. I get sentencing her to death for doing such a thing, because, mm -hmm. first of all, not only did you kill somebody, but you also kidnapped a child who, you know, was obviously born a little early, didn't get the medical attention that she needed, and etc. But... Like, damn, they were just like, you're just going to die, honey. Like, there's no helping you. Well, see, here's here's the way I walk through it. Lisa had developed this lie, right? Whether she, met, like, repeated it to herself in the mirror, like, every morning, I'm like, you are pregnant, Lisa. You have a baby. We need a baby. That kind of thing. However she psyched herself up, she just kept repeating this lie until she believed it and she needed other people to believe it too. And I think what makes this crime and this murder so terrible is the fact that it was built on a lie that she told herself and other people and she was really just trying to find anyone who were a means to an end. And that unfortunately happened to be Bobby Joe through the innocent rider chatter where she thought she was going to make a dog sale that day. And I think in the jury's mind, the judge's mind, that if it wouldn't have been Bobby J, it would have been somebody else. She was not going to just say, 
oops, I had a miscarriage or I lost the baby. It was never going to end like that. It was going to end with her somehow getting a baby. You have a good point there. But I'm going to fall back on this and say that she also didn't get the help that she deserved for her mental issues that she suffered as a child. Clearly. She never received any type of care. And the fact that they still don't want to try to rehabilitate her is kind of sad. Well, here's the thing. That's why everyone has a right to, you know, a fair hearing. Everyone has, you know, the appeals process. There's all these things that they can go through. Now, I'm not saying, like, if I was Lisa Montgomery and they told me, all right, you're getting death, I'd shit myself, but then I would try to, you know, I'm not saying that mental issues don't come into play at at any point. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is there has to be a line where, you know, yes, you have a mental disorder, several in her case, but you still have to be held accountable. Right, which is understandable. And her attorneys argued that because of a combination of years of horrific abuse and a raft of psychological issues, she should never have been given the death penalty. They believed that at the time of the crime, she was psychotic and out of touch with reality. They were joined by a chorus of supportive voices from the legal field, including 41 former and current prosecutors, as well as human rights entities like the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. Lisa was incarcerated at Federal Medical Center Carswell in Fort Worth, Texas, where she remained until she was transferred to the site of her execution. For a long time, she was the only woman with a federal death sentence at Federal Medical Center Carswell. Experts who examined Lisa after conviction concluded that by the time of her crime, she had long been living with psychosis, bipolar disorder, and PTSD. She was said to be often disassociated from reality and to have permanent brain damage from numerous beatings at the hands of her parents and spouses. Also, let me just add this one here, going back to the whole death penalty thing. So, Lisa was scheduled for execution on December 8th, 2020. Now, this process, not a short process, uh, I'm sure that between December of 2007, when she was given her sentencing, that she had her legal team and everything work up her appeals, but of course you've got to show that you know, your sentence was not right, your legal team didn't put up strong enough defense, etc. I mean, it can't be that hard because, look, Ronnie Alcala did it several times. True. Lisa was scheduled for execution on December 8, 2020 by lethal injection at the U.S. Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. But this was delayed following her attorneys contracting COVID-19. On December 23, 2020, she was given a new execution date of January 12, 2021. On that date, federal judge Patrick Hanlon granted a stay of her execution on the grounds that her mental competence must first be tested as it could be argued that she did not understand the grounds for her execution per the Eighth Amendment. So there's like a little security 
blanket in there for the mentally unstable. They have to make sure that she understands what is happening. Because in that Eighth Amendment, they say that death sentencing is a cruel and unusual punishment for people who have like intellectual developmental disabilities and that sort of thing. That's all covered under the Eighth Amendment. Right, because they couldn't, you know... They won't understand. Right, they don't really make the connection that, hey, I did this, so I'm going to die. They won't really understand that. Right, exactly. The stay was vacated by the Supreme Court with a 6-3 to vote. So, 6 in favor, 3 against. The execution was ordered to be carried out immediately. And Lisa arrived in Terre Haute's death row on January 12th, 2021. Lisa was executed by lethal injection on January 13th, 2021 at the United States Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. When asked if she had any last words, she replied, quote, no, end quote. She was pronounced dead at 1.31 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. She became the first female federal prisoner executed in 67 years the first woman executed in the United States since 2015, and the first person executed in the United States in the year 2021. That's a lot. I mean, first of all, I kind of can't believe she didn't have anything to fucking say. Like, how you just going to say nothing? Like, I would want to say something. She had nothing. And I think the fact that she had nothing to say, not even like an apology to the family, an apology to even her husband, her children she left behind, the fact that she had nothing. She is cold as ice. Yeah, there's no no type of sympathy or empathy for others. No remorse. At all. Nothing. She didn't care, pretty much. Like, yeah, cool, I did this. Just take me out now. But also, I think it's strange that they just did this at 1.31 in the morning. Like, well, usually some people like to watch executions happen, so you do it at a normal time of the well, day. Well, okay, sis. Not everybody's, <laughs> like, it's not like you go into the marquee cinemas. Not everybody gets to see it, but I mean, the family of the victim gets to be there. The family of the, the perpetrator gets to be there. Their legal teams get to be there. Um, I think they may even be able to request that specific people be there. Um, but, like, if you think back to Ted Bundy, which I'm sure everybody's waiting for us to do Ted Bundy, that case has been hacked and sliced so many different ways that if we ever do it, it's going to be a ways down the line because I just think there's only so many different ways you can talk about one person. This is true. So, but, I mean, like, if you think about Ted Bundy's execution, when he was executed, it was, like, 5 o'clock in the morning. There were people outside selling t-shirts. There were people outside with coffee, donuts, signs. I mean, people were outside the prison fence waiting for him to be executed. Mm-hmm. And you see the lights flicker, and then a guy comes out waving a white you know, piece of fabric, and he's like, it's done. It's over. Ted Bundy's dead. It was probably, you know, a similar situation, I'm sure. But, I mean, I'm sure nobody was out there protesting. Oh, That kind of stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, like, yeah, they don't really do it at normal times. I wouldn't want to get up that early. Like, but the no. first thing I need to do of the day is, I I wouldn't want to be like, gosh, oh, shit, it's 
5.30. All right, let's brush my teeth, grab my coffee, get dressed. Let's go kill somebody. It's going to be a great day. Yeah, that's not the first thing I'd want to do in the morning. No. And so if she arrived on January 12th and she was pronounced dead on the 13th at 1.31 a.m., they, they spared nothing. No, they didn't they waste They said, okay, girl, time. you going to get here on the 12th? What's your last meal? You know, here, this is what you can have. Do you have any last words? No. Okay. Shoot you up. Go to sleep now. You go night-night. So the tiny farming town of Skidmore sits in the far northwest corner of Missouri. It was the kind of place where you could see a show, buy rabbit feed, and eat dinner, but those days are long gone. Today there is a single restaurant and a few of the streets are paved. The population hovers around 250 and everyone knew Bobby Jo Stinnett and her family. Friends say that she was a good student with a love of horses and dogs. She liked going down to the Nodaway River to swim and playing Nintendo games at slumber parties. She was quiet and kind. At the time of her murder, she was newly married and pregnant with her first child. Bobby Joe's graduating class, which had only 22 members, has a tradition to mark the anniversary of her death, and they hold a collection to try to do something nice for her mother, Becky. The murder is never far from the minds of the town's residents. Which, I want to add here. There's only 22 people in her graduating class. And when they talk about, you know, doing a collection for her mom every year, it's never anything like an all-expenses-paid vacation. It's not anything like that. It's actually really sweet. Like, uh, when I was doing the research for this case, it said that one year they gave her some flowers and $100. It was just something real simple. But just to show them that they were still thinking about her. Oh yeah, I couldn't imagine how how she feels. I mean, you're not you're not supposed to outlive your kids. No, that's not the normal course that life's supposed to follow. Yeah. Bobby Joe's daughter, which they named Victoria J. Sinet, was raised by her father Zeb with the help of various other family members on both sides. Zeb has done a very good job keeping her out of the public eye for the last sixteen years as I'm sure it's painful enough that with each passing birthday, Victoria Jo is reminded that her mother's life was taken from her. Victoria Jo is set to graduate from high school in 2023. She and her dad still reside in Missouri. Lisa's quest for a baby went to extraordinary lengths. She killed one woman and destroyed two families forever. To Lisa, being a mother was a matter of life and death. Thanks for listening to Two Jane Does. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Remember to tune in every Monday now at 8 p.m. as we dive into a new case. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review. Catch us on Facebook at Two Jane Does, where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts. If you have any cases that you want us to cover and go into detail with, you can leave us a message there.